0: Our scripture reading today is taken from the gospel according to John, John chapter six, and we'll be reading verses one to 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The Church of Jesus Christ has often been threatened by attacks from the world. Sometimes these attacks are physical as experienced by the Waldensians in Italy, the Huguenots in France, or the Covenanters in Scotland in the 17th century, or by Christians in many Muslim and Hindu lands today. Sometimes these attacks are political. Governments pass laws uh, that are in direct conflict with the word of God laws regarding marriage and divorce, laws regarding child discipline and education, laws regarding crime and punishment, or laws regarding pornography and censorship. And we might ask the question, what hope hope is there for the church in such a hostile environment? Well, the sermon this morning from John chapter 6, I trust will provide... A sufficient and satisfactory answer to that question that there is hope for the Church in a stormy environment. First of all, as we look at John 6 16 21, we see the trial faced. The trial faced. The Christianity is not based on an abstract philosophy, in fact, it is rooted in what we call time and space. It is rooted in geography and history. In fact, most of the incidents recorded in the Bible we can pin down to a particular date uh, and to a particular historical moment. And we can also identify the geographical area in which the event occurred. For example, as in this case, it might be the Sea of Galilee or where Jesus was born, Nazareth, Nazareth or Capernaum, where where Peter lived, or the Sea of Gennesaret, or Jerusalem, outside of which our Lord was crucified. That's in the New Testament. Then with reference to the uh, Old Testament, we have Sinai, uh, where the law was given. We have Egypt, where the children of Israel were enslaved. We have the northern kingdom of Israel with the ten tribes, the southern kingdom of Judah with the two tribes. We have Babylon where they were were carried off into captivity. And then we have Damascus, the capital of Syria to mention just a few locations that we have uh, mentioned in the Old Testament. This passage in John's Gospel describes what happened after the feeding of the 5,000. The crowd had been dismissed. The disciples had departed by boat for Bethsaida a seaport on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus remained behind, deciding to go up into the mountain to pray. The crowd, nourished by the sumptuous meal of bread and fish, no doubt made it home after what had been for them a very satisfying and blessed day. Jesus was in the hills praying to his Father in heaven. He was experiencing uh, his uh, special communion with the one he had left behind when he came to earth. But what of the disciples? How would they fare? Well, they never made it home that night. We read in verse 16 of the chapter, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Matthew, in his account of this incident, tells us that the boat was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. So what a predicament to be in. No doubt the disciples were physically tired after all the excitement and ministry of the day. And now here they were, rowing with all their might to get to their desired destination. But they were getting nowhere. Out there in the middle of the sea, in the dark, the darkness of the night, buffeted by the waves, And this difficult situation that prevailed prevailed not just for a few minutes and not just for a few hours, but all through the night. Because it was not until the fourth watch of the night that help arrived, as we discover from Mark's account of the incident. In fact, the fourth watch of the night. And... Most of you will know, but the fourth watch is from 3 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the morning. Taking all these facts into account, these disciples were experiencing a serious trial. They were maybe even at this point despairing of their lives. It seemed that their master, their leader, Jesus Christ... Uh, had abandoned them. Uh, He was far away. They didn't really know where he was. It appeared now that his interest in them may have flagged. And often the church can feel like those disciples in the boat, tossed to and fro with contrary waves, waves of opposition. And in the last hundred years or so, uh, those waves... uh, uh, have not come from soldiers in battle dress but often from politicians in parliament passing legislation that has contributed to the marginalising of Christianity in our country. Coupled with these political waves there have been the waves of humanism waves of humanism that have been battering the church. On the one hand we have wildlife programmes led Uh, by David Attenborough, where everything is presented as if evolution was solid fact rather than just a tenuous theory. And then we have Richard Dawkins, who has made a name for himself, publishing what he believes uh, to be uh, the fact that there is no God. And through his publications has influenced thousands. And we have the waves of liberalism within the church itself. What we might describe as the enemy within. With many voices advocating that we should dispense with the supernatural. And rule out the miraculous from the Bible. And what terrible havoc that wave has caused within the church As well as that in recent decades the church has been buffeted by the waves of the charismatic movement a movement that plays down and minimalises the place of the mind in Christian worship placing uh, more emphasis upon religious experience than on divine revelation. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. In the 17th century, Samuel Rutherford, a covenanting minister, spoke to his congregation about having to follow their Saviour, Jesus Christ, with the wind in their faces. And that wind blew into a mighty storm later on in that century when many covenanters suffered terribly at the hands of the Stuart Kings. Now, we may have moved on several centuries, but it appears to me that the wind is still in our faces. At times we even fear for the future of the church, as those disciples may have feared for their future in the boat. But the disciples had no need to fear, for all the time they were struggling, something of great significance was taking place. Something of great importance was happening. Christ was watching. He was observing. His eye was on them. As Mark informs us in his account, chapter 6 and verse 48, and he saw they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. The trial faced. Secondly, the security provided. At the end of verse 16 we read, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And Mark tells us that he went up to the mountain to pray. In the midst of the crisis, that, the praying saviour, was their security. Jesus Christ, their Lord and Master, the Captain of their salvation, was making intercession for his disciples. What was the content of his prayer? Well, we are not told, but uh, we can safely assume that, among other things, he was praying for the twelve in the boat. He often prayed for them, as he later prayed for them in his great high priestly prayer. I am praying for them, he says to his father. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The praying saviour, that was their security. And as there was security provided for the disciples, so there is security. The best kind of security that you could ever find provided for the church today. The church may be buffeted by all kinds of gales and hurricanes in this world, but Christ, the king and head of the church, is watching over his people. And very especially he is praying for them, praying for the people he loves. The church is his bride, the apple of his eye, And he will ensure that nothing will happen to her outside and beyond his will. The church has many enemies. Enemies from outside who obstruct her. Enemies within her ranks to weaken her. But remember what Jesus has said about the church. Isaiah 54 verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Or Matthew 16:18, "I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All the forces that Satan can muster will not inhibit or destroy or counteract the work and witness of Christ's church. And what is true of the church in general is also true of individual members of the church. You may feel buffeted. By problems and difficulties. But fear not. Jesus knows. He understands. And he is supporting you by his prayers. He is surrounding you by his love. And he is protecting you by his great power. And his grace is sufficient. Remember, God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. The trial faced, the security provided. Then thirdly, the miracle witnessed. The miracle witnessed. As the disciples were struggling to bring the boat safely to the shore, their eyes saw something that astonished them. The storm was still raging. The waves were still lashing against their little craft. But there in full view was this figure of a man A man walking on the water. Were they seeing things? Was this a delusion? Was this a ghost or an apparition? Now we can understand why such a sight would terrify them. It was outside and beyond anything that they'd ever ever experienced. Who was this? Well, the person was to reveal his identity those reassuring words of verse 20. It is I. It is I. Do not be afraid. The person walking on the water was their master. It was Jesus Christ. But who ever heard of a person walking on the water? Never mind observing such a thing. Well, J.C. Ryle comments, That which was contrary to all natural reason was perfectly possible to Christ, the God-man. That which was contrary to all natural reason was perfectly possible to Christ, the God-man. At the beginning of this account of the Gospel, John testified of Christ. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so for the maker of all creation, it was just as easy for him to walk on the sea as it was for him to create the sea in the first place. It was just as easy for him to suspend the laws by which uh, the universe is governed and, and sustained, what we call the laws of nature, as it was for him to bring about those laws at the beginning of time. And through this miracle, Christ drew near to his disciples. And this miracle would remind them that he was no ordinary human being. That intrinsic to his humanity was his divinity. He was the God-man. And by suspending or sorry, By exercising his divine power, he was able uh, to handle the crisis through which he was passing, or through which the disciples were passing, a miracle witnessed by the disciples. And although there will be no need of the miracle uh, to be repeated, we too often witness a miracle when trouble enters our lives. In the trial, we experience the nearness of the Saviour's presence. In the crisis, we are confronted by the reassurance of Christ's love. That all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. That in the valley of the shadow of death, when the clouds are all gathering around us, when all seems doom and gloom, he is right there with us. Our Saviour is an ever present help in trouble. The trial faced, the security provided, the miracle witnessed, then finally the deliverance experienced. The deliverance experienced. What a difference Christ made! The storm ceased, the sea was calm, and as we read in verse 21 immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately they were at their desired port. What had appeared impossible as they rode with all their strength was accomplished in an instant. But all because Jesus was present. So what a difference the Saviour makes. This reminds us of the words of Jesus in John fifteen verse five Apart from me you can do nothing. Or Mark five twenty three With God all things are possible to him who believes. There was a great storm that night on the Sea of Galilee, a storm that whipped up enormous waves, a storm that defeated the best efforts of, ex- of experienced sailors to reach the shore. But greater and more boisterous are the waves of trouble that can afflict and affect the believer. It may be grief, it could be illness, maybe the threat of unemployment, loss of income, financial setback. In such trouble, when you experience the stiff breeze of opposition, don't panic. Never despair. Don't become overwhelmed. Because Jesus Christ, the guardian of your soul, he's not a fair-weather friend. He is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus can and will come to your assistance in your hour of need. He can and he will come to you in a way that often you do not expect. Simon Rutherford, already mentioned, was banished by the local bishop for preaching the gospel in the year 1636 uh, to the far-off city of Aberdeen. It was was something that that brought great sorrow and grief to his heart because he loved his people uh, in Anwath and Galloway. It was a sore trial for this man who was a devoted pastor but from Aberdeen he sent this letter uh, to a minister in a neighbouring parish and this is what he said My Lord Jesus is kinder to me than ever he was it pleased him to dine and sup with his afflicted prisoner a king feasteth with me and the spikenard He casteth a sweet smell. I dare not say, but my Lord Jesus both fully compensated my sadness with his joys, my losses with his own presence. I find it a sweet and rich thing to exchange my sorrows with Christ's joys, my afflictions with that sweet peace I have with himself. Jesus Christ. Precious, exceedingly precious to the believer. But what happens to the unbeliever in trouble? What happens to the person who's not a Christian? Well, at the end of the day, he is no one whose help is sufficient. He may turn to drink or drugs, to dull his mind for a time, to give him a false sense of peace, or He may plunge himself into frenetic activity or endless pleasure. And while this may provide a distraction for a time, it won't soothe the soul. It won't erase the guilt from a troubled conscience. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And he knew what people were like. And so he said to them, he offered them a solution Their troubles. Come to me, he said, all who labor under heavy laden. I will give you rest, I will give you peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Thousands, tens of thousands, millions are clamoring for rest and peace and satisfaction for their souls. Only Christ can give that. Come to me, he says. I wonder if you responded to that appeal yourself. Samuel Rutherford didn't become a Christian until his early 20s and he later bemoaned the fact that he loitered on the road too long. I say to you this morning, don't loiter on the road too long. Transfer from the the broad road that leads to destruction to the narrow road that leads to life. Yes, life indeed. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Saviour. In the world you will have trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, he went on to say to his disciples, I have overcome the world. And for that reason, and that reason alone, the church has hope in a hostile world. Amen.